Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. We're talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's our series that we're on. We're studying 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the more popular passages in the scripture, probably, I would say probably in the like, top five list of people that don't even, you know, attend church or know Jesus. Most people know that, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envy. And I thought, man, what we need to do is we need to dig into that. What does that really mean? Because it's easy to, to say it and it's easy to just kind of kind of blow it out of our mouth, but but do we know what we're saying when we talk about love? And there's a lot of misconceptions about what love is on the earth, and, and I think if anybody knows anything about love, it's the initiator, the creator of love. God himself knows a lot about love. In fact, he describes himself as God is love, so he has a lot to say on the topic of love. And Jesus issued in Matthew chapter four, uh, 5, verse 48... Jesus gives us a command to perfect love. Now, in that passage, he's, he's not just talking about loving your family and loving your kids and loving your spouse and loving your coworkers and loving your neighbor. Actually, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus actually gives us this commission to love our enemies. And we understand that that's very uncomfortable and that's difficult. And it would require God in our life to be able to fulfill that commission. And he makes this statement in Matthew chapter five, verse 48. He says, be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. So Jesus gives us this mandate in the context of love to love perfectly. And so we're not there yet. I don't know if any of you, maybe y'all have attained perfection in your love for people. I am not there yet, but I can tell you I am in process, and I am growing in my love, and I'm loving better today than I was yesterday. And then Jesus makes this statement. I'm kind of recapping. Jesus makes this statement about the church, and he says this, that you are the light of the world. Now, before that, he said, I am the light of the world. So he is the light. We're a light. Right? And Jesus, when he talks about light, isn't talking about all the beautiful lights that we have in the room. He's not talking about a light uh, created by electricity. He's actually talking about the kind of light that comes from fire. Because in the scripture, you don't have light without fire. They had lamps and they would put oil in those lamps. And I believe this I believe the oil that is in the lamp of the church is love. If we're going to burn bright for the world to see, then we've got to have the the oil of love in our life pouring in and through us so we can emit the flame of God on the earth. So the fuel of our lamp is love. Jesus speaks of another guy in Scripture. He speaks of the church. He speaks of a guy by the name of John the Baptist. Everybody say John the Baptist. Now, if you know anything about John the Baptist, he was the guy that came before Jesus. In fact, some people thought... John was Jesus, and it says in John chapter 1 that he was, that John was not the light, that Jesus was the light, but Jesus says that John was a light. Now, John the Baptist, if you know anything about him, he lived kind of out in the wilderness, and he had disciples, and he kind of looked like a cult leader, right? He ate like weird foods, and he had like mangy hair. He kind of, you know, was kind of homeless living out there, and he had a mission in his life to prepare the way for Jesus. Listen, beloved, 
you have a mission for your life, and you're called to live a life that's different, that's separated, that looks peculiar a little bit, because you are also preparing the way for the Lord. You're preparing the way for the return of the Lord when Jesus returns, but you're also preparing the way of the Lord for your classmates, and also the way of the Lord for your teammates, or your workmates, come on, or your homemates, right, for your spouse. We are preparing the way of the Lord in people's lives, and the way is love. The way is love. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, right before you get into chapter 13, he says, follow the most excellent way. And then he shows us what that way is. The way is love. 1 Corinthians this is, in fact, let me just say this. John chapter 3, verse 30. This was John the Baptist. When we speak of John the Baptist, this is John the Baptist's mission statement. If he had a business card, this would be, you know, real big on there. He must decrease and I must increase. No. He must increase and I must decrease. See, I think we do get it backwards in our culture. I think that we say, I must increase. It's all about me and me being happy and me doing what I need to do and me, me being fulfilled. And at the end of the day, I got to do what's best for me. But that, was, that is not the way of love. And that is not the way of the waymakers for Jesus. The way of the waymakers say this, he must increase and I must decrease. He must go up, I must go down. He must go higher, I must go lower. That's the way of love. First Corinthians chapter 13, we're talking about selfless love today. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love, and write this down, it does not envy or circle that or underline that or highlight that. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Those are the four things we're going to talk about today. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Verse 8, love never fails. Love is selfless. We talk about being envious. We talk about being proud or boastful or self-seeking. You cannot talk about those things and be selfish. I mean, you will be selfish if you are doing those things. Envy, pride, boasting, self-seeking, all of that is focused on self. But listen, love is selfless. Love is not these things. And the first thing that he says this is love does not envy. Now, I used to struggle with that. I was like, what, what does that mean? I mean, if I'm being envious or being jealous, like I'm not loving somebody, that doesn't make sense. So let me, let me break it down for you today. Envy means this, that I desire what somebody else has. I desire what somebody else has, somebody's truck, <laughs> somebody's job somebody's platform, somebody's family, somebody's life. These are the things that we get envious about. Really, in the context that Paul's talking about, I want the gift that somebody else has. That I'm not content with my gift, I want their gift. See, envy is at the core of comparison. Envy is at the core 
of comparison. One of the reasons why we, we're struggling so much with depression and discouragement in our society, in this culture, is because we live in a, a culture that is looking at everybody else's life. We can look at their life in, in two seconds. You can be on Facebook or Instagram and see what's going on in their life. And what is happening is you've got so many people discontent with their life because people are showing their highlight reel and we're comparing our lowlights to their highlights. And we go, I wish, and we might not say it, but we go, I wish I had the life that they had. I wish I had the kind of spouse that they had. I wish my kids were behaved like their kids, but you ain't never been in their home. See, envy is at the core of comparison. Let me warn you with this. The problem is, is envy has a fruit. And envy can nurture a bitter spirit. We are to, to get away from the bitter spirit that, that can so often possess us and, and control us and cause us to be angry and discouraged and frustrated. Envy will nurture that. See, I, I've noticed this in my, in my life. I, I, I speak from experience because, because I, I, I have gifts, and, and sometimes I see someone that has a similar gift that I have, and I look at that gift and I begin to despise the person that possesses the gift that I have. I might not say anything against them, but in my heart, I, I look at their gift and I, I begin to do things like allow bitterness to set in my heart towards that person. I begin to look for weaknesses in their game to point out their weaknesses because I feel inadequate in my gifting. And it all comes from this place of envy. I look for ways to scrutinize and criticize their character. In evil, I'll rejoice in their weakness. I'll rejoice in their failures. Why? Because they might be better than me. Because I might look at their life and go, dang, in comparison, I'm not that good. I wish I was better. I wish I was good as they are. So what I'll do is I can't attack their gift because their gift is good. So I'll start attacking their character and I might not even know them. Come on. We do this. I've seen people do this with celebrities. Come on. All the time, all the time we see this kind of thing happen. And I'll, I'll make statements like, they are just so, they're so prideful. You ever done that? Someone's got, a, got the same gift you do, but they're bet, they, got, they got it better. Right? They're functioning at a higher level and we'll go, they're just so prideful. When the one that's being prideful is me. Come on, in my, in my security, I would, I would be bothered when other people compliment them. Someone to compliment them, and I'd be like, you know, trying to, try to work my way into the conversation. Hopefully, somebody will compliment me, right? Trying to rob the compliments of another person in my insecurity. And again, out of, out of evil, wishing that they would fail. What is wrong with me? Where did this bitterness come from? It came from a place of envy. It came from a place thinking, I want what they want. I would never tell anybody. Out of pride. I will never compliment them out of pride. Come on, because I want what they got. Proverbs 14, 30 says this, heart at peace gives life to the body, but evil rots, the, but envy rots the bones. See, the problem with envy is it will rot your bones. It will rot you to the core. You will be obsessed with bitterness. James chapter 3, verse 14 if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, but, 
But if you harbor bitterness, bitter envy, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, and this is what we do, right? Well, I bet they're not very nice to be around, right? Kind of out, out of wisdom, kind of an air of wisdom. Well, this is what I think. Let me tell you my opinion about that person because, I mean, I know they're awesome, but I'm sure not going to tell anybody that because I'm insecure. Are y'all checking with me? Is it, am I the only one? And then out of our, we would say that, that kind of out of our wisdom, hmm, I bet, so high and mighty, I bet, but it does not come from heaven. That kind of wisdom doesn't come from heaven. It's earthly, unspiritual, listen, and of the devil. It's of the devil. It is of the devil for me to have that kind of bitterness in my heart, to be envious of somebody and to allow that to form, listen, allow that, in, that envy to form into bitterness is of the devil. And the devil has you right where he wants you if you function that. Listen, envy will rot your bones. Beloved, get rid of the envy. See, when I'm loving well, I celebrate what others have, even if it's something I long to have. Come on. It could be family. It could be life status. But when I'm loving well, I'll celebrate the things that others are rejoicing that I wish I had. See, you want to get, re- you want to get rid of bitterness? You want to get rid of this envy in your heart? Then rejoice when somebody else gets what you want. When they get the raise at work, the, the raise or the position that you're wanting, somebody else got it, you know how to love them well? Rejoice with them. When somebody else has a failure, you don't rejoice in their failures. You weep with them in their failures. That's what loving well looks like. You have to celebrate what you desire in others. You have to celebrate the gifts in others. I, you know, I, I've learned this from experience because, as, you know, I, I do a lot of things that require gifting. And so I've fallen into this trap many times. And then I've experienced the other side of it, the good side of it. You know, I think about Pastor Nathan up here leading worship every week. And, you know, Nathan's been with us a long time, you know, 13 years or so. And, you know, he hasn't always been as handsome and had that beard. He was just this kind of, you know, kind of rowdy uh, well, I was going to say something, but I don't want to embarrass anybody. Football player. And, uh, and just this, you know, always a super nice guy. And so Nathan started playing in our band, started, you know, playing drums with us for a little while. And he was playing guitar and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, man, he's really good. And I was so proud of him and, so, and had this, this heart for him that was excited about his gifting. But as a worship leader in those times, if somebody was kind of like, been doing it as long as I have, and then they were better than me, then I would be bothered by it. I mean, I wouldn't tell anybody, but I'd be like, are they, yeah, they're, they're really good. Are they anointed? You know, that, that kind of thing. Like, I would, I would just allow those, those things to kind of swell up because of my insecurities because of the gift in others. Come on, are you tracking? And so when Nathan started leading worship and starting to get really good, and I was like, man, the student has become the teacher. You know, I mean, I was like, and I, I began to, my heart began to swell for him, and I began to, 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 to develop a, a love in my heart for Miho's gift. And when he leads worship, I don't get threatened by it. And I'm like, oh, can he, um, can he like just hang out on the same cord for a whole hour though? <laughs> right? No, 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 none of that. I was just like, man, this is awesome. See, true love wants people to supersede my gift. So now when I see him, I'm like, man, he's way better than I ever was. It took me like almost 20 years to get that good. And what's awesome is I, get to, is, I, is I get to receive from his gift now. 
Whereas if I despise it, oh, if I despise the gift of another, then I can't receive from the gift that they have this for me. This is the problem with envy, beloved. We have to be secure in the gift that God has given us. And use it and grow in it and develop it, absolutely. But don't, don't, don't despise the gift in somebody else. Rejoice in it. Then you'll receive from it. Number two, love doesn't boast. And I'm going to also say this, include this in here. Love is not proud because those things go together. Boasting people are proud people. See, envy is focused on what I don't have or what others do have. And pride is bragging on what I do have or what I do possess or what is in my possession. See, we're all gifted, even you. You're created. You're, you're, you're creative. You're, you're gifted. You are gifted. But if we are not careful, our gifts many times will go to our head and we will get inflated. Paul uses the word um, in the King James language, the King James in- interpretation of it, the word is puffed up. Where it says love is not proud, love is not puffed up. The Greek word there is inflated. Have you ever met somebody that's inflated? Have you ever been inflated? Because we get like that, right? Come on. We get like that with our gift. We're, we're doing pretty good, right? We're, we're confident in it, all that kind of stuff. And then when we feel a little insulted, what do we do? We, right? we puff up. We inflate. But listen, gifts are meant to speak of the giver of the gift, not puff the pride of the recipient. You have got to get a handle on your pride. God wants you gifted. He wants you functioning in your gift. But your gift should speak of the giver of the gift, not puff the pride of the recipients. See, the gift isn't to promote you. Will you get this, beloved? God's gift to you is not to promote you. God's gift to you is to be a gift so you can be a blessing to others. The gifts of the Spirit are for the church. They're not for the And What we do in church, what do we do? Someone has a gift and we go, oh, they got a gift. They got a gift. I just need to get around that person. They got a gift. What is wrong with you? You got a gift. Exercise your gift. And the other thing that we do sometimes, we get a gift and then we take the credit for the gift. That's how you get puffy, right? You think you did something to get a gift. The very fact that you have a gift shows that you didn't have that before. (laughs) The gift speaks of your value. You're valuable enough, but God loves you enough to give you a gift because you ain't gifted. (laughs) God, I need the gift. He's like, oh, I know. I'll take care of that. And what we do is we go, well, I worked real hard. I nurtured my gift, and I'm so awesome, thank God. We think that we've glorified God because we brag for 45 minutes, and then at the end we go, thank God. I'm just so blessed. You didn't honor God. Honor God from the beginning. Honor God at the end. I'm not talking about being some super spiritual. Well, bless God. I'm just so gifted. No, 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 no. Just point to the giver. Just point to the giver. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17. As the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. 
You want to brag about something? Brag about God. Grab, brag about how good God is and how, how he's blessed you, how he's taking care of you. Don't do it in a, in a way that makes people feel little. No, no, no. You just boast in the Lord because when people commend themselves, it doesn't count for much. The important thing is that the Lord commend them. The important thing is that not that I get the approval of men, as, as Paul said, but that I get the approval of God. That God looks at me and goes, yes, you did it right. That, that's what I want. When I, when I stand before Jesus, I don't want him to go, look at all you've done. I want him to look at me and go, you did it right, son. We focus on, on the much that we do. He focuses on the way that we do it. He focuses on the, the way our heart is, the way that we're handling ourselves, the way that we're managing people. Well, I went and led 5,000 people to the Lord. Did you do it with a mean spirit? If you, didn't, if you didn't labor it out of love, it's no good. It don't count. If you did it to brag about it, if you did it to be seen, it don't count. It don't count before God. Well, look at all the money I made. You're not impressing God. What impresses God is a tender heart. Humility. That's what impresses God. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, humility is the prerequisite of perfect love. You can't love somebody and not be humble. Because in order to love somebody, you've got to put yourself last. See, the religious functioned in this kind of high and mighty, I'm so spiritual thing, right? So they would, they would give their offerings, and they wanted everybody to know how much they gave, right? They wanted everybody to know their sacrifice. Listen, there's a big difference, because Jesus did say this, let your light so shine. There's a big difference between that than, than doing things to be seen by men. Letting shine versus effort to be seen. You tracking? See, the religious functioned at the look at me realm. They were doing things to be seen and praised, to be celebrated. Look at me. Ask for my autograph. It's so weird how consumed we are with fame. It's so funny. Can I just hang out here for a second? You know, you get somebody that's popular, they don't know squat about the Bible, and they get saved, and everybody's like going to their conference. Because they want to rub shoulders with the famous person. Yet they won't spend time with somebody that's been in the prayer closet for 50 years. They won't give that person the time of day. Where, what is up with our crazy value system? We're self-focused. Or we're so focused on the gifts. And that could be even rooted in envy. Listen, we talk about humility. I'm not talking about shame. I'm not talking about you like, mm, poor me, woe is me. Mm. Right? We're not talking about that. But also we're not talking about you boasting in the look at me realm. This is what Jesus says. Be careful that you do not be careful. I love that. First of all, he's giving a warning. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. The motivation are you letting your light shine, or are you doing it to be seen by men? If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So anything, what Jesus is essentially saying is if you do things for the approval and the thumbs up of men, it don't count in heaven. 
It don't count before God. And we all love appreciation. Come on. We love it. We should give it. But if we're doing it for that, if we're doing it for the applause of men, we have no reward in heaven. Philippians 2, verse 38. This is powerful. Powerful scripture. 3 through 8. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. How do you exercise humility? Consider others better than yourself. It's not about self-loathing. It's not about, you know, being all, woe is me. No, 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 no. It's about treating others. You got to have some dignity to treat others better than yourself. And hopefully yourself isn't this, Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude, your mind, your thinking pattern should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. If God is a level 10, and Jesus became a man, he didn't just go down to a zero, he went out like a negative 300. Became nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Jesus didn't get what he deserved. He got what you deserved. Oh, even death on a cross. See, you can't love someone that you put yourself in front of. Well, I love them, but I'm not. You can't love someone if you put yourself in front of them. Both of these things that we've been talking about, envy, being boasting, I guess there's three things, envy, boasting, being proud, are all three very self-focused. Focused on what I don't have, what I want, envy. What I do have, boasting, prideful, puffy. And they all really fall under this thing called self-seeking. We, our culture, listen, is obsessed with self-seeking, obsessed with self-improvement. There's nothing wrong with self-improvement, but why do you want to improve yourself? So you can be awesome and say, thanks, God, I'm awesome. Or so you can better humanity. See, the the heart of self-seeking is narcissism. We do that with with celebrities. We do that with people on TV. We do that with famous people. They're so narcissistic. Maybe you're being narcissistic. Are you self-seeking? See, the problem, I think maybe one of the biggest confusions we have in our culture is, is the confusion between love and happiness. See, many confuse those things. They think being... Being in love is being happy. And this is what we say, right? I love this person. How do you know I love that person? Because they make me feel so happy. Because I feel so fulfilled by them. Beloved, that's not love. You're talking about the way that you feel. First of all, love is not a feeling. Love is, is a state that has feelings. It produces amazing feelings. Don't confuse love and happiness. See, some are just in love with happiness. (laughs) 
the goal of love is not happiness. And that's what we've done. We are, we're really obsessed more with happiness. Everybody, love, love, love. What we want is happy. What we want is just everything to be the way that we want and everybody just to leave us alone about it. And we call that love. That is not love. That might be, might be happiness. But God is more interested in you being healthy than he's in you being happy. He's interested in you being whole. And whole only comes through holiness. He wants you healthy. You know what I've noticed? Is, is healthy people are happy people. But not all happy people are healthy people. Because I've known drug addicts that are happy for like six hours. But just like all happiness, that happiness goes away. Then you got to do that again to make yourself happy. I know people that are addicted to porn that are happy for five minutes. But the shame that comes when the computer is turned off, that's not happy. And that ain't love. See, if your wants, feelings, agendas, dreams, goals are at the center of it, if it's about you, if it's about self-seeking, if it's about self-promotion, it's not love. That's not love. You okay? Love you. Marriage and family. Let's talk about marriage and family just for a moment. Listen. The mandate for mankind is marriage and family. When God shows up, the first institution that he develops is marriage. So society has done everything to kind of, let's redefine it. You don't need to be to redefine. God defined it. It is what it is. You can call whatever you want marriage, but God has a definition of marriage. And God created this mandate called marriage. But it's not just the mandate of mankind. It is also the training ground. Because marriage will teach you, <laughs> and parenting will teach you to stop being self-centered. <laughs> In fact, you, people get divorced for this reason. They're not making me happy. I fell out of love. You don't, falling in and falling out of love is a lie. You fall in and out of happiness. You don't fall in and out of love. Love is a choice. Love is a decision. It's not a feeling. Love is a choice. Love is a choice to lay down my life. Love is a choice to say, my life's mission is to make this woman feel fulfilled. Feel fulfilled. In doing so, I will be fulfilled. And if she does the same thing, it's going to be awesome. And you look at our culture and how self-centered we are, and you see that divorce is on the rise, that's why. People are self-centered. It's all about you. With the, the common thing in divorce papers, or, or uh, what, what do they say? that We're inadequate. We're, uh, was it? Incompatible. Sucker, nobody is incompatible with anybody else. But if you can lay you down... And you can lay you down, you can be compatible. Yeah. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 5 uh, talks about the relationship between husbands and wives. And listen, this is the thing. I've seen so many. I, I got a call this week. I've seen so many marriages, people I love dearly, people that have been married for decades, get divorced. And it's always the same thing. They don't make me happy. Maybe you miss something. Marriage isn't about your happiness. You don't marry someone because they make you happy. You marry someone because you're willing to give everything in your life to bring fulfillment to them. It's about their happiness. And so 
this self-seeking decisions, you know, people having affairs and people doing something stupid to violate a marriage covenant. Listen, all of this, it's all done in self-seeking. And it's ripped marriages apart. It's ripped families apart, children left without two parents. Trust me, they would rather be in a dysfunctional uh, husband and wife who fight violently a couple of times a week than they would with not having a mom and dad together. You can ask the kids. You can, you can get some counseling. And we said it yesterday. It'd be way better for you to spend money on a counselor than on a lawyer if you're married. This is for married people today. We just finished the conference, so if you weren't here, here you go. You know, Ephesians 5 gives a scripture that men have used a lot of times to manipulate women. Because it says, wives, submit to your husbands. So you have all these guys that ignore all the Bible except for that. You're called to submit, woman. This is what, this is what the ch- chapter says right here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says, submit to one another. So guess who else has to submit? <laughs> the husband. So does it say the, the husband is the head of the house and wives must submit to the husbands? Sure does. But guess what else it says? It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, cleansing her, purifying her. The self-denial of men, the submission of a man is way more intense than the submission of a woman. Way more You can love someone into submission, but you can never submit somebody into loving. You can love somebody into submission, but you can't submit somebody into loving. I've tried a couple of times. (laughs) Don't work. More submission comes from the man. We have more to lay down. We're more prideful. We're called to be like Jesus. He gave it all. What about what I want? It's never been about that. Maybe you missed the point of marriage. Young people, you want to get married? Welcome to your funeral. You know, this marriage is the place you come to die. You die to your desires. You die to your wants. You die to your hopes. You die to your dreams. And you say, what can we do to preserve what God has created? Together. Not about you ever, ever, ever about you. It's never been about you. It's never been about your happiness. Sorry, Hollywood, you were wrong. Y'all okay? Love you. I really do. You know I do hope. How do we nurture this selfless love? How do we nurture it? Because if you're like me, I want to get there. Because I'm not there yet. I'm learning to die. I'm learning to die to my desires. I'm learning to be less selfish. I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm in process. You want to go there with me? How do we do it? Number one, we see ourselves as an investment, not a waste. See, you laying down your life is not a waste. It's an investment. You're investing into another person. You're investing into what God calls you to do. Jesus said it this way, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it produces many seeds. See, it's an investment. You laying down your life is an investment. See, you, you, you are an investment because you are valuable. Don't be prodful in that. You are incredibly valuable. You're not worthless. You have, you have something worth giving. And that's the reason why it's so hard. By laying yourself down, you're, you're recognizing that you actually have something to give. Well, I'm not going to let people walk all over me. Me neither. I'm going to lay down for them. I'm not going to let them walk all over me. I'm going to get on the ground. And I, 
I'll serve them. I'll wash their feet. I think less people would walk all over you if you had that heart and that approach. See, when I realized that I have something to offer, I found joy in offering it. Leslie leaned over to me before service. She said, tell them about Christmas. Well, see, when you're a kid, it's all about, what can I get? But when you get a little older, maybe that's the mark of maturity, how you feel at Christmas. What am I getting or what can I give? Because when you have kids and you love kids and, or you're in love with your spouse, you, the, the most thing that you enjoy, the most joy that you get is by giving gifts, right? That's where the pleasure comes from. It doesn't come necessarily from the receiving. There's some there, but most of it comes from what you're offering. When I realize I have something to offer, I find joy in offering it. I don't look at it as a sacrifice. Oh, man, I just got to lay down my life. It's just so hard. No, no, no. I, I have this gift. I have, I have, God has made me this way, and I just, I get, to, I get to come and I get to serve my wife. I get to come and I get to serve my church. I get to serve my community. I get to serve the boss that really gets on my nerves. You want to develop love for somebody? Do that. Wash their feet. Sit at their feet. Shut your mouth. Quit talking about it. Start loving those people. Listen, if Jesus called you to love your enemies, he definitely called you to love your boss and your president. Again, it don't matter if you voted for him or not, because there's men that I didn't vote for. I loved them. And I did, and you can ask that woman right there. We're not talking, again, about self-loathing. We're talking about self-denial. Loving yourself does not mean pursuing happiness. It means pursuing healthiness. It means pursuing wholeness. We've hit on that. Wholeness is found in holiness. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, anyone, you want to follow me? This is what you got to do. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wants, here it goes, whoever wants to save his life, well, I just, whoever wants to save his life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life, for my sake, will find it. And what do you benefit? If you gain the whole world, that you lose your soul? That you lose the very breath, the reason that you were created? What happens if you get all the stuff and you die and you never loved anybody? You lost your soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? Don't be a sellout. Don't be a sellout to yourself. Sell out to Jesus. Don't sell, stop selling out to yourself. I thought you were in this thing. I thought you were into following Jesus. This is what he says. I'm a Christian. Here it is. This is what it looks like. I'm a Christian. What does that mean? I go to church at Overflow. Awesome. We're glad you're here. That doesn't make you a Christian. This is what makes you a Christian. You want to follow me? You lay down your life. This is what it looks like. I didn't come up with it. Jesus did. So don't be mad at me. I'm just a male guy. Number two. Listen. Number two, go first. Meaning, be the first to be last. The person cuts in front of you in line, go first. Don't take the cheap route and be like, well, I was here first. That's a cheap route. The high road says, oh, my God, I can afford it. 
I can afford you cutting me off in traffic. I can afford you accidentally overcharging me. Hey, can you? Why are you, why are you so high and mighty? Why, why are you so bitter? Soften up. Go first. See, love is about an answering the, a need of another not to satisfy my own. And we experience love the most. And this is back to the illustration of Christmas. We experience the love, love the most by showing it. You're like, man, I just don't feel love. I, I'm not experiencing love. Are you showing it? And not just to your kids, but to your enemies? Are you showing it to people you don't know by criticizing their character? Are you showing love? Of course you're not receiving love. Of course you're bitter. Because you continue to feed the bitter stream. You continue to just feed the root of bitterness. Beloved, just be nice. Just go first. I know you don't feel like it. I know it's hard sometimes. We don't, we don't, we don't like our opinions. And I don't know. I know. Don't be afraid to go first. Number three. Did I read that scripture yet? Let's read it. John 15, 11. I've told you these things so that you be filled with my joy. See, Jesus is telling you, you will find joy in this life. And here's, here it is. Yes, your joy will overflow. Joy, joy, joy. Joy and more joy. This is my command. Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. There is no greater love than this than lay down your life for your friends. How do you find joy? By chasing it? By chasing happiness? By pursuing happiness? No. You find joy by laying your life down. That's what Jesus said. Your joy will overflow. You want to know how to overflow your joy? Yeah! We want to be happy, Jesus! We want our joy to overflow like that. He's like, lay it down. Lay your life down. Listen, it doesn't feel good in the moment, but right after you do it, you're like, that's awesome. And then you start living like that, and it starts consuming you. Number three, have confidence in God's love. Have confidence in God's love for you. See, I'm convinced most people can't lay down their life because they don't realize that God really did lay his life down for you. That he gave it all. It's easy for me to get mine. Because his price was way higher than mine. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. We know how much God loves us, and we have And we have put our trust in his love. We've said yes to it. We said, yeah, God, you love me. He says this, God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. And as we live in God, oh, I love this. Our love grows more perfect. It's like we talked about in the beginning. Perfect love. The goal is perfect love. And as I'm in God, and I'm receiving his love, and I'm receiving the revelation of who he is, I'm growing in love. I'm getting better at love. I'm getting better. I'm not, I'm not perfect yet, but I'm getting better. You know why? Because I'm trying so hard? No, because every day I wake up, and I spend time with God. And I sit before his holy presence, and I just go, God, you love me. And he goes, I do, son. I love you. Listen, he loves you. 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 
He loves you. He loves you. And you ain't getting out of it. You're not getting out of his love. You're not going to get out of his love. So what I want you to do is I want you to give in to his love. Give in to the perfect love of God and you will grow and you'll nurture that spirit of perfect love. Then you're not going to see laying down your life as a sacrifice. It's going to be an offering. You're going to be like, man, I just love loving on people. I love encouraging people. I, I love being a joy to be around. I love being patient and kind. And, I, and I, I, I love rejoicing in the gifts of others, even though it's a gift. I just love doing that. It's just an offering because God has poured all those things out on me. 